Good morning, or whatever time of day it is for you. Um, This is our first dialogue podcast. We are trying to find more ways to be in conversation with each other, even if we can't have those conversations in person. And so we've named our podcast Liturgy for Life, because liturgy is not just something that we do within the walls of the sanctuary, but it's a way of life. And as we're spending more time at home, I think we are all contemplating what our rituals are and what tradition is and how we find new routines and new liturgies for this season. And so today we're going to talk about that and explore what that's looking like in our own homes and in our own spiritual and prayer lives together. So I'm going to let everyone introduce themselves and we'll begin. Uh, This is Pastor Abigail Parker Herrera. Um, I am a deacon at Terrytown United Methodist Church. Um, so this is kind of a fun conversation for me because a lot of my job is about how we take the things that we do in our churches um, into the world. And so how do we live our liturgies? How do we live those out in ways that are meaningful, not just for us and our own families, but for the people that we encounter? I'll go next. Uh, I'm Pastor Lance Richards. I'm one of the pastors at Terrytown United Methodist Church. And I believe this topic is so timely right now. We're living our liturgies at home. We're living in a time of deep disruption and one that will reshape and reorient our lives if we let it. And so um, I'm excited about our conversation today. And my name is Rachel Wright. I'm the Director of Missional Storytelling at Terrytown United Methodist Church. I'm a layperson, and um, I'm excited in part because all my formal training is not in theology. It's in fiction writing, so telling stories is kind of my thing. Um, And I get to do that with you all today, informed by theology. Um, For me, as a layperson, Liturgy has always been the work of the people um, carried out into the world. And so it's exciting to sort of be thinking about this unusual time and space in which the boundaries around liturgy as worship versus liturgy as living um, are sort of breaking down. Um, And my name is Pastor Callie, and I work with mostly our young peoples at our congregation with youth and college students and young adults, um, and also I help with worship a lot. So we're going to start with just sort of a surface level question, which is how have routines and rituals developed in your houses in this time with your families? So like I know in my family, we've tried to sort of have a ritual of Um, nine to three for my son is a time where we don't use computers and games and stuff and are trying to do more educational stuff. Um, In the morning, we all go on a walk together just as a way of making sure we're all keeping to a good sleep schedule. Um, And so within that, then we've found times for prayer, you know, continuing our practice of nightly prayer, but also other times, you know, watching evening prayer together, things like that. Um, I would call our house a bit of ritualized chaos. (laughs) I don't know if that is um, a ritual, but it certainly feels like something we can't get out of. (laughs) So I don't know if it's enforced or if it's what we've fallen into. 
Um, we span a bunch of ages. So I have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a four-and-a-half-year-old who all kind of want different things with our time together. Um, on top of that, JD and I, JD is my husband, um, we both are working and um, it seems that all of our meetings always get scheduled at the same time, even when we're trying not to have that happen. Um, so when we're in meetings, our older kids are usually watching the four and a half year old and trying to help her with her schoolwork. Um, when we get out of meetings, one will be hanging out with our four and a half year old while the other two are able to do the work that they need to do. Um, beyond that, we've tried to take afternoon walks um, just to get out of the house. And in the mornings, I go on a jog with the older two or we work out um, to Camp Gladiator uh, live online sessions. Um, but I don't think we found any type of real steady ritual to sink into. I know I get really um, nervous about how much screen time they're having. I think they're watching a movie right now while I talk. Um, and there's just, I don't see a lot of ways to wiggle out of that. So we're trying to have a few touch points. Um, but most of the day is kind of like Lord of the Flies, figure it out. Um, we're going to survive this somehow <laughs> way of doing things. I've discovered in this season that ritual is really important. And when ritual is disrupted, life kind of fills off balance or off kilter. And so we're experiencing that now in these days of quarantine. Uh, my wife, Rachel, is also working from home and we're balancing the care and schooling of our two children. So we, we've tried to establish new patterns of living and new routines in these days getting up in the morning and sharing breakfast and having a prayer time, do, starting school by nine every day, and taking time during the lunch hour for a picnic outdoors. This outdoor time is really important in these days. Uh, we take a family walk in the evening, uh, sometime in the afternoon before or after dinner, and then try to end our day with prayer. But we found that in this season, the the connection from the church has been really important for us. We've had uh, daily, well, occasional times with our, our children's director at Terrytown, JJ, where she's gotten on Zoom and our kids have gotten to see their friends and sing songs that are familiar. Those types of rituals have been really meaningful for the kids. They just really drink it up, especially when they're with their peers. And so I can see in this season the, the real difference that the community of church is making in, in the life of my family. Like Abby, I have children that span a large age gap. I have a 10-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 18-month-old. And my husband is a professional educator, so he's working from home too. Um, in terms of their sort of hours of the day, he's really taken that on and he has them up and ready for school in all the ways that he normally would. Um, and I think they do desperately need that, particularly my five-year-old thrives on knowing what's coming next to help her through the transitions. And um, so in some ways, it doesn't really matter what the routine is 
as long as she knows what it is. Um, and I have been reflecting a lot on that myself in this season on how much I'm like that too and how hard this is to walk her through it this because I don't know what's coming next. And um, I've had to continually take away the things that she thought was coming were coming next into the future, right? Um, we like Lance have leaned a lot on um, the ways that we can connect with our school and church community. My children also typically would spend every afternoon with my parents after school, and we've had to be completely quarantined from them for their um, health. And so we've added in a regular Zoom time with their grandparents because that's brought a stability to their day um, and a time of checking in um, and talking about what, what's been good. My mom sort of has a ritual with them of asking them about essentially their highs and lows. And so that's been a time when they can kind of vent and celebrate. And um, that's been great. The other small blessing in this has been that often I work late into the evening but because I'm here, I can always stop and have dinner with them. So we've had dinner every night this week together, which isn't something that my normal workflow or the way we normally balance our work life um, has allowed for. And so I think we have looked for a few anchors um, to sort of um, keep us moored spiritually and relationally in a time when we're really having to upend so much of our day-to-day lives. And I think um, one of the things that I was thinking about while we were talking was the idea of ritual versus schedule of maybe your schedule is a bit upended like mine is. I just can't, you know, those printed out schedules that are like, do these things at this time. I can't make that happen. That is just impossible in my family. But there are certain things, and it's impossible sometimes with the extra stuff, right? Like yesterday, Cora had a Zoom call with her um, class, and Sarah Lynn had Zoom dance class, and um, there were other Zoom meetings with church functions, and those are good, but even those start to pile up and feel a little overwhelming, like how are we going to fit all those Zoom calls in when... I need to be on a Zoom call for work or (laughs) JD needs to be on a Zoom call for this. Um, Those things can start to pile up. And so just even having the ability to every day talk through the schedule with one another, figure out where we need to be and when, um, and then find those places, right, where we're going on a walk together or JD and I pray every night at 830. Um, But places where we know, okay, at least for this moment in time, we're going to be anchored and able to go through something together that gets us through to the next, the next time. Yeah, I think that's really wise, Abby. And one of the things I know, the joke in my family, my mom always would say, once I notice that I've developed a ritual or a habit, like it's my goal to break it. (laughs) And, you know, like whether it was eating breakfast or I mean, anything, it was just like, yeah, I've been doing this for too many days in a row. Um, and so I 
am very much my mother's daughter in this way, whereas my husband is the complete opposite and like is still getting up at the same time, putting his work clothes on every morning. And I'm just like, all right. And so I think it has been very much um, finding a balance, finding those touch points of, okay, you're going to do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. But, you know, after five, we're all going to get to, you know, we'll be sort of family time or whatever and just finding those touch points and also just trying not to drive each other crazy. My room has been clean for four, five days now, which is, let's just say, miracle level. Um, But I think that's been part of our wanting wanting to accommodate each other and work with each other on things. Cause I know that that's important to him. And since we are home all day, it feels like a grace to share. Like, okay. I can clean this room up. Well, and I have really appreciated um, at Terrytown, we've taken more time for midday and evening prayer. And I have needed that just for myself because I think as a working parent, so much of my lens has been, how are they coping with this in this season. And I realized, um, especially last night after the second time that I had participated in an evening prayer service, that that was something I really needed for myself to bring that same anchoring to my life. And honestly, to sit in quiet, because what I realized was I normally have that time with God on the go mostly in my car um, when I've dropped everybody off and I'm on the way somewhere or I'm on my way home. And those moments of solitude have really been taken away in my particular household. On the one hand, we're isolated from the larger community. On the other hand, I took a shower this morning and people were talking to me through the shower curtain the whole time um, because that's the life of a young family. And so I have really had to set aside um, just a few minutes regularly um, to sort of create that time for myself. And the church has helped me to do that. Rachel, one of the things you said earlier was about we know what comes next. And I think that's the perfect bridge into liturgy in the traditional, you know, church sanctuary sense. We've all talked about this some in our worship meetings and staff meetings and things like that. But in Lent especially, I mean, I think it's such a liturgical rhythm of all of these stories in Lent and then moving into Holy Week and Palm Sunday is filled with tradition. Um, and then Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and of course Easter Sunday morning. And so, you know, I've always felt like we do know what comes next. And I always joke with my parishioners, like the disciples didn't know what was coming next when Jesus was crucified. And I say that as a reminder, but now I feel like I am relating a little more to that unknown that the disciples felt. Um, And so how has that impacted you all as y'all have thought about the liturgy and as we've been planning worship together? Yeah, for so long in this, we haven't known what to expect. Different orders have come from different levels of government that have moved the goalposts, it feels like, uh, weekly and then daily. And now we have a little sense of knowing what's coming next in that we know we can't gather together 
but we know little else. And so our question has really turned to how do we help bring brief life into the liturgy as a church scattered across our city and our region? What does it look like to live liturgy at home and to have families participate in that in the middle of the messiness and beauty of family life of kids talking to parents through the shower curtain or, you know, kids eating breakfast while the service is being streamed. It's been really fascinating to think about it in that way and to to rethink ritual, ritual that we've enjoyed as we gather on our campus could become kind of decentralized and taken into our homes, but it might not look like having real palms that were distributed, you know, it may look like cutting something from your yard or printing something off and coloring it, uh, but just finding new ways to live this old, old story, I think is our gift and our challenge in this season. And one that I'm excited to take up. I think, um, you know, in the past when I've planned liturgy for high holy things like Easter, um, there is a way to sort of know what is going to happen because you've done it a thousand times and you can kind of sink into figuring out what what you want this year or what people should get out of it or what little things can you change to make it more meaningful. Um, and you kind of have the ability to sink into the story and find all the minutiae that might uh might need to surface. Um, I feel that this time around, you need so many different plans, right? I think we have plan A, B, and C for almost everything. And um, plans around, okay, what does this look like if you're sitting around a table and your kids are throwing waffles at each other? What does this look like if you don't have kids? What does this look like if you're home and sick? Um, I think we're really trying to think through um, all those different pieces um, when we're communicating the story or worship. Um, and that's been good. You know, there are pleasant things about that to be able to to develop multifaceted ways for people to enter into worship and liturgy. And it has been exceedingly different <laughs> than what I've done in the past, I usually don't have three different um, Maundy Thursday plans, right? We usually have maybe one or two. Um, so I think in that way, it's been a little different. It makes me wonder, um, you know, I find myself wondering a lot about Jesus in those final weeks and uh, how many plans got nixed to do something else, you know, <laughs> that we know what happened based on what's in scripture, but it makes me wonder how many different directions Jesus had to go, but uh, little things changed those plans. And now we have this story we have. Um, so I don't know if that means I'm identifying with Jesus, but it's certainly making me think more about that story as a, a real story where decisions were made on the fly and it wasn't all just sort of set down uh, for him to just follow this map and get from point A to point B. Yeah, I've been thinking that the Holy Week services and the Lenten services are some of my favorite every year because I think that ritual has deeply informed my spiritual life. 
and yet um this is a really good time to be stripped away from the parts of that that were performative or perfunctory that I didn't even realize were that way um and so I was thinking about when I was a kid I'm I'm a preacher's kid and my parents were both pastors and they worked a lot and so I went with them on hospital visits and I went with them to funerals sometimes because they just didn't have childcare for me and so I was exposed to death early and in and because of that and because I'm just generally probably an anxious person I developed a routine at bedtime a ritual really with my mother and father and sister where I said to each of them good night I love you I'll see you in the morning and in my mind that meant if I had said those words everything was going to be okay and it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized that was there was a magical thinking element to that um and I have begun to think about the stripping away of my own magical thinking, even in my spiritual life, right? And instead, I think about when my son, my oldest child, was an infant or a toddler, I guess. um, I always found it really moving that once he learned to say thank you, he didn't say thank you for big stuff like the crazy birthday party or any of that, but he thanked me every time I changed his diaper. And to me, that seemed like such an ordinary, um, you know, basic need met. Like this is the lowest standard of parenting is caring for you in this way. And every time he would look up at me kind of soulfully and say, thank you. And um, to me, I wonder if that's not at the heart of our rituals Um, and that I have overlaid for almost 40 years my magical thinking on the rituals. And this year I'm being invited to strip that away because so many things are stripped away and just say, I'm afraid or I feel small or I need to be closer to you, God, or thank you, God. And that feels important work to do in this season. I had a conversation with my husband a week or so ago, and we were talking about traditions and where they come from and how so many of our traditions come out of times of distress um, and also just out of necessity, you know, like, I think we had a conversation in our worship class about, you know, all the symbolism behind candles. And they're like, well, really, we probably first used candles just because it was dark. and <laughs> We needed light, you know. And I think sometimes we, and I love doing this, you know, we lay layer meaning and theology onto things. But the season has really challenged me to sort of ask the questions of like, but what does this mean? Um, And for me, Good Friday has always been one of my favorite days of the liturgical calendar, just because it's a time when I think we as 
as Christians and as those, especially not in traditions that talk about Jesus' death all the time, that we really do intentionally tell the story that Jesus suffered for us and it wasn't fun. Um, And I think that's, it's at the heart of our faith and our faith is so much more than that, but that's where it begins is that the sacrificial love that God has for us. And I think in the coming weeks, as things progress, that's a story we're going to need to hear and be reminded of. You know, here at Terrytown, throughout this season, we've been focusing on what it means to be one with Christ. And Jesus teaches to pick up our cross daily and follow. And there's a bit of sacrifice, a bit of suffering rolled up in that. As we live and deny ourselves, life is different. We don't get what we want. Uh, We do what we do for others and not just for ourselves. And in many ways, there's, there's been a oneness with Christ if we'll search for it and find it in this season where we're sitting on our couches for other people. And, you know, I think about the sacrifices of other generations and what they did that was very active. I think of the, the greatest generation and wartime and all of that and how this is a different type of battle that some are waging on the front lines of our medical institutions and others are waging from their homes. And we're, we're all giving up something for the sake of others. And there's something beautifully gospel about that. And I, I look ahead to Easter and new life and resurrection and in some ways excited about living that in a disembodied sort of way where we're not proclaiming it with trumpets and organs and bright Easter clothes and and lilies in the sanctuary, but uh, wonder what that looks like lived in community where we see our lives reordered and restructured by this story and by this season and how we might be reoriented and really led to, to remember this story in a different way as we remember our lives uh, reconstitute our lives in a different way. I've already begun thinking about the way in which this quarantine has changed all of us and how really there's not going to be a sense of normal when it gets back to, to normal. There'll be a new normal that settles out. But in the season, we have the opportunity to really think deeply about what's important and about how our lives, both individually and socially, might look when we're able to be out and about, when we're able to go back to work and be in a setting with others again. So that's where my mind has wandered in this time of quarantine, thinking about these high holy days and what they mean for our living. Yeah, I think one of the things on my mind has been, you know, how will I be different after this? Um, And not wanting to feel like I've you know, there's some weekends where you're like, I'm gonna get all this stuff done. And at the end of the weekend, you're kind of like, I got nothing done. Um, and so just asking the questions of how will I be different? Um, and how can I be intentional about that? Um, and so as we wrap up our time together, are there any things that are on your heart that you're praying for? Um, obviously, we're praying for all those who are in harm's way um, and who are suffering 
But are there things that y'all are working on or focusing on or reaching for? I think for me, I do have hope that, um, you know, when this is over and things are lifted, that um, there will be, that my children will look back on it with a fondness, (laughs) Um, that we do have this time together that we wouldn't normally have. And um, I find myself wanting to maybe try and manufacture (laughs) things so that they'll think of it fondly. And um, one of the things that I think about a lot is, um, for me, I grew up in uh, as an Air Force brat, moving around quite frequently. And um, a lot of my time growing up was in Germany. And there's a lot um, in common with my growing up time <laughs> to this time now in that, uh, you know, we really did only go shopping once a week. We couldn't just run out and get things whenever we wanted. And there weren't really restaurants in my village. So we didn't go to restaurants very frequently. Um, We didn't drive that often because gas was expensive and uh, there just wasn't a ton of places to go. Um, We did a lot as a family. We went on a lot of long walks, um, especially when we would be new to a village and and didn't know many people. Uh, we really just had each other um, at first. And so I look back on those times with really fond memories. And I'm hoping that this time spent with my kids, with my family, um, you know, on WhatsApp with my mom uh, is as deeply meaningful to them later as the time with my grandma's recorded cassette tapes that she sent to us in Germany and all the long walks and looking at ducks and um, growing gardens together was for me as a child. My prayers in these days have been focused on what it means to be more grounded in the present moment. My mind tends to spin with thoughts of the future and how what I'm doing today affects the future, both positively or negatively. But what I'm trying to do as a discipline is to be more present in the present moment with my family, with each day and what it brings, and to to not worry so much about what the future holds. This This time really is doing that for us. And We don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine. We don't know uh, what's going to be left of our economy once we get to fully inhabit it once again out in the world, so to speak. And so um, it may be kind of a forced spiritual desert, I guess, but, um, but I'm hoping to find an oasis in the present moment. Yeah, like Lance, um, I, well, maybe not my clients, I will say for myself, I spend a lot of my mental energy normally imagining the future. Um, And I am often very much in love with the future, what is possible. Um, And recently I was, Callie and I have been doing a book study on 
Kate Bowler's Everything Happens for a Reason, and she talks about being more in love with what's possible than the present. And I am deeply convicted by that. Um, I think about my children and what I hope for for them out of this time, and I think you know, they're as loved as they've ever been and as safe as they've ever been and as cared for as they've ever been. But I am showing up more in my own life with them um, and that that's the gift to me. So I, I pray that they will think of this time fondly, but I pray more that I will remember how important this season has been and how refining for me this season has been. Um, And then I also think about, you know, we've talked a lot about the high holy days, but what does this mean for ordinary time? Um, And that's kind of what we're talking about now. And I, I have also been praying several people in my life have recently had serious diagnoses that are totally unrelated to what's happening now. And so part of living in the present and being present for people is remembering that while this overlays our lives and will continue to long after we're allowed to leave isolation, um, ordinary time has also been happening in everyone's lives in all the ways it always has. And so what does it mean to be present in that in new ways? that I hadn't imagined and how can I continue to use this time to be refined? Um, I hope that my prayer is to be open to that. Um, even as I want to be open to that in ways that are safe, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, okay, God, you know, I'm willing to be refined just as long as you can promise me that the people I love I'll get to say, I love you. Good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. That still is inside of me. Um, and it's hard to let that go. So I pray for trust for myself. Thank you all so much for joining us and sharing. Um, there are so many things to talk about and to ponder and to think about in this season. And we encourage you all who are listening to have these conversations, whether it's with us or with your families or with others, um, continue to dialogue because that is part of what makes us a community. And that's part of what's so wonderful about being a part of a church community um, or any community is that we can help each other walk through things and process so that we can all be healthier and stronger spiritually and emotionally and in all the ways. And we can walk with each other and help each other out. As a bonus feature today, we have a piece that Lucinda, our organist, wrote and played for us on the organ. And so I invite you to take this moment just to pause for a second and reflect and be present with God. <laughs> 